Hello, people. Would you like to take a break from everything in the world? Well, join me, Baron the Dog. Let's go on an adventure and find something fun to learn about. I love to go on adventures. Oh my, what is that ominous sound? Oh my, there seems to be a strange book outside. What could this be? This is interesting. I'm going to have to go find somebody to help me learn about this. Hey Baron, what did you find here? Is this the Book of Enoch? You ever wonder what in the world goes on with fallen angels and how they end up being totally depraved? You know, we hear things about Lucifer and Satan, the devil, all these different names. Well, today we're going to be looking at the Book of Enoch, which is this strange text which sits behind a lot of the things that we know in the world around us. And I mean, it's not something which is authoritative in the same way that scripture is, but it has influenced some of the early Christian writers, and there are even references to this mysterious book in our holy scriptures. And we're going to look at all that today and have a little bit of a break from the world. So thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others here with me. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And have you all ever wondered, we wonder about the fall of Lucifer, but then we kind of had this nameless army of other angels turned demons that kind of sit around him. We kind of wonder about those stories. Have y'all ever kind of wondered about that a little bit? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It It's something where it's not necessarily pertinent to salvation, of course, but it is a really fascinating thing to talk about. Um, is it something where there's a lot of drama? Is it kind of a more serious battle of honor? Like, what's going on? Today, I think we're going to find out about that. Are y'all ready to jump into the book of Enoch? Yes, let's. Bring it on. Pastor Mike, would you pray for us as we begin? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we ask for your spirit to rest upon each and every one of us here today in this studio, Pastor Dylan, Pastor Amanda, and myself, as well as those who are streaming and watching. Lord, just pray for your uh, spirit to rest upon them. And though this is a lighthearted uh, conversation here, Lord, we do pray for revelation to do your will and pray, Heavenly Father, for you to guide us. So we pray for those who are watching with different uh, health issues, Lord, for you to bring a healing touch in their life. And most of all, dear Lord, uh, draw us closer to you. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right, so I think a good place for us to start today is get out your trench coats, go ahead and tease your <laughs> hair out into ancient aliens, because we're going to have a lighthearted study of something which is actually kind of serious, but at the same time, not the most serious. Who in the world is Enoch? Do y'all ever wonder about certain names that you find thrown around in Scripture? And we know of certain biblical names that are out there, and we even know of certain characters that appear in Scripture. But we only hear so little about them. Maybe they get two or three verses. Maybe they, they get a whole story, but there's no backstory or story before and after that. You hear about these figures who kind of come on the scene, like Balaam and the talking donkey. You're like, why is he a prophet <laughs> of God? Like, yeah. where does all that come from? So today we're going to be jumping into Enoch. Does anybody have any early thoughts on Enoch before we jump right into him? Well, you know, I, I think I get some uh, questions about that. And again, I think it's when you got to put your trench coat on and people are like, what's, what's this, whatever happened to Enoch? And, and so, uh, you know, I've read in a, uh, in a commentary, I think it was Dr. McGee, uh, that said, you know, him and a, he and a, a, a small child, maybe kindergarten age, had went to Sunday school class and they said, what'd you learn? And, and it's, well, Enoch, um, left, went with God. He said, what do you mean? And so the child said, well, he, he and Enoch, uh, Enoch and God were walking and having fun, playing, and then when they got ready to go home, he was at uh, 
uh, Enoch was at his mailbox, and God looked at him and said, won't you come on home with me tonight instead of going home and spend the night? And, you know, Dr. McGee told that story probably much better than I did. But at the end of the day, I think it's this whole thing of walking in relationship well, that Enoch this. has. But it is still that trench coat mystery well, of what happened here. When, when you mm-hmm. just told that story there, that sounded really creepy, actually. Like <laughs> two people out playing, like some kids, and this guy's like, hey, why don't you come on home with me? Like yeah. that—that's not what I gather from the Genesis story. Amanda's <laughs> over there laughing at this. Did that not sound really creepy? It, it everything we're gonna talk about today is gonna be really creepy. Like I—I I don't know if we need to like get some like preventative measures up before we get into this topic. Like we've already had to restart two or three times because of technical glitches, and and like um, I just. <laughs> yes. Well, and you know, that when you get to the book of Enoch, it's, it is this apocalyptic literature or this genre of literature. And so when you get into this, it's it's like a uh, a place where, you know, it, it gives us the origins of demons and giants and, and fallen angels and the mixture thereof. And so, yeah, it, it is one of those things where yeah, it, they, it is they come from the computer. We're, we're going to be looking at Shimzaza, mm. the angel who... False. He walks away from God. Uh, I guess he's come to move in our computer today. <laughs> Talk about really being degraded from your station. Uh, so let's let's actually read the actual scripture we have on Enoch, okay. and we're going to the book of Genesis, chapter five, and you find him mentioned really there in the middle of that chapter. But the most notable thing we're going to look at today is Genesis five twenty four, where it says Enoch walked and lived faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's he just bring the trench coat. Gone. Yeah. If, bring the trench coat. If I could whistle the X File theme songs, I, I would have, but <laughs> Yes. Um I don't know that I can do that. It would probably sound really shrill over a microphone. So let's get into this. Well, so and Enoch, you know, I just want to throw this out there though. Carl Bart said that it those things in scripture that sometimes it leaves you like that. You talked about the the talking donkey and all these other things and but, but it is that that those things we shouldn't be afraid of or ashamed of, but really we should pay very close attention because there's something really powerful happening. Mm. Um, though I will say, so far our imagery of theology has been God is going to come to you in a trench coat while you're out at your mailbox and say, hey, why don't you instead of going back in your home, just come over with me. Like, nope. it, you There's more pay. aspirational imagery to God than this. But Let, like let's that's get a painting into, of, of God yeah. as Pennywise, the clown. Let's get into the New Testament text before we all get hit li- with lightning. Yes, um. let's <laughs> let's do that. Um, and one of the reasons why we need to go there is because why is Enoch so important? Well, right now I'm preaching the book of Jude. And in Jude chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, it says, And it was also about these in that Enoch, who was in the seventh generation of Adam, he prophesied, saying, Seeing the Lord is coming with ten thousand of his holy ones. So, you know, that's a very nice prophetic message. You know, God is coming to bring judgment. Um, Very nice indeed. Uh, Also (laughs) quite serious. Fun stuff indeed. So, but you look at that and you say, okay, well, where did that scripture come from? Because this is clearly a quote of something. And right now I'm I'm preaching the book of, of Jude and I wanted to do some investigation into this. And I didn't realize the book of Enoch was something you could go out and find. Of course, we have Baron the dog who went and found it. <laughs> how, how wonderful of Baron the dog to go and do that for us. But what I found so fascinating is Jude sets up these two totally contrasting images. And one of them is Korah in his rebellion, 
who doesn't die either. Just like Enoch doesn't die, he goes straight up to God. Well, with Korah, it was straight to hell. Uh, Korah and those who rebelled with him against Moses and also by proxy against God, it was do not pass go, do not collect $200, straight to Sheol, straight to hell for you. The earth Mm. opens up, you get sucked down to the deep bottomless pit beneath, and the earth closes up, you are gone. Um, so you get Which, those two images, and this might reflect where our, um, you know, our calling may be and our credentials after after doing this episode. <laughs> do not pass go. Do not pass go. Do, do not, not collect two hundred dollars. Do not come to district assembly. Just move on. <laughs> Just yeah. move on. Well, in the story of Enoch, it's go straight to heaven. In the story of Korah, straight to Sheol. Sheol. Yeah, not good. So. You get in reference to the book of Enoch there. Um, in Luke chapter 3, verse 37, it mentions Enoch in Jesus' genealogy. And there in Hebrews 11, verse 5, it once again references Enoch, saying, By faith Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, there's actually a couple of different opinions on that. People wonder, why was Enoch taken? Some people might ask, was he righteous like Jesus? And, y'all, I have a drink in here to keep from getting too uh, dry in the throat like a lot of people do. Baron the dog just came and stole that <laughs> and is making a mess in the studio right now. But there's, He's thirsty. He's thirsty. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but let's talk about this. What do y'all think about Enoch being faithful and then taken up? Do y'all think that means he was sinless or what? Because there's actually a little bit of an explanation for this. Um, I, don't, I don't know about sinless, but... Um, I, I think it is interesting. We had mentioned before, you know, a lot of that stuff in that passage in, in Genesis, people live for several, several centuries, and Enoch only lives about 300 years. And, you know, honestly, that could have been the mercy that God was providing. Maybe you don't want to live for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of years. And uh, whatever Enoch did, his faithful expression resulted in him, I think, you know, going up to heaven much sooner than a lot of the people he was around. And, and that, that may have been a blessing is, I guess, what I'm well, trying to say. You're actually pretty spot on. And here's Baron the dog for us. Uh, you're pretty spot on with what Jewish tradition says on the matter is hmm. that he was a generally faithful guy um, who may have had some times that were higher than others and other times that were lower than others. And God did not want him to fall into sin. And he saw that that was a very real possibility with Enoch's personality. But since he was generally righteous, he said, you know what? I'm going to pull you on home before you get in that mess. Sort of like this dog here who wants to get inside the drink and spill it and make a big mess. We're going to just pick up the puppy and take the drink away from him and clean up that mess before it gets worse. Uh, God had that same mercy and charity for Enoch. said, before you get that wrong, Bubba, let's just we're just going to sort this out on the front end. Okay, so what are some other interesting things about Enoch before we actually read it? Because we're going to have some fun kind of looking at the high school drama that happens with Samzaza and some humans. But also in this book, there's Jewish sorcery that we find going on. And I think that's another interesting talking point because we wonder why something like the book of Enoch would not be in Scripture if it is referenced by other Scripture. Hmm. If someone like Jude is so familiar with it that he's quoting it when he's writing something that eventually becomes Scripture, why was the book of Enoch itself not included in the Old Testament? Um, And one of those reasons is that it's very serious and it's very predetermined kind of in its nature. The Jewish people don't consider it heresy or anything like that, but it's not considered to have the same level of authority as Scripture simply because of its predetermined nature. And I say weird thing, they didn't want Enoch to be connected with 
in Medaronki, who was the seventh antediluvian king in Mesopotamian legends. So they didn't want to have him connected with him for some reason, which I don't exactly get. But also the Jewish sorcery thing. What do we think about Jewish sorcery? It's fascinating. Um, I know, you know, we've mentioned before there's some references in the New Testament and Jesus even gets accused of maybe being a sorcerer. So it's something that's kind of accepted, but not really like the best. Um, And then also, I mean, we've got kind of a lot of Old Testament texts that refer to kind of mysticism and magis and things like that. So it's very, I don't know, it's it's fascinating. And and also this kind of weird idea, though, that there's this control that can happen with with these unknowable elements that's not quite within the religious sector like it's not the sadducees or the pharisees or or the levites that can control it so um yeah who who knows it's again very weird stuff that we're dealing with today and um potentially very dangerous stuff i don't know (laughs) yeah so let's jump more to some of the specifics here so in genesis chapter six you get this strange account where some angels some sons of god They look at the daughters of Eve and they say, well, we're going to go down there and take them as wives, which also brings up the interesting question about marriage in heaven. And in the Genesis account, what we get is they come, they take them as wives. They have these children that are giants. They're Nephilim. And then God sends the flood, the deluge that we Mm -hmm. find with Noah. Um, Well, the book of Enoch actually gives us that whole story, but from the angle of heaven. And you find these angels scheming, plotting to do some things. So it's pretty interesting. But earlier we addressed why it was not included in the Jewish canon. I want to really quickly hit on why it was not included in the Christian canon either because Christians obviously made some decisions on these things. But the Christians, when they put together what we now have as the New Testament and even brought in the Jewish Old Testament, for the new writings that were being introduced, it had to have some connection to the apostles. And Enoch is older than that. It's at least two or three centuries before Christ when the manuscripts that we generally use now were were pretty well solidified. Um, and also, this had to be in wide circulation. Maybe this was, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Evidently, Jude knew about it, and so did a lot of other Christian writers. We find people like Irenaeus evidently using this. Hmm. Um, you, you find quite a bit of, uh, you know, fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls there, too. So the Essenes yeah. obviously knew about it, and they're yeah. very an apocalyptic type uh, community there so it's obvious that you would find it there look you know yeah and this is definitely an apocalyptic book and on that note let's jump right into it Uh, Enoch after introducing himself in his first chapter of his book in verse 3 it says and y'all listen to this if y'all were worried about this being serious you know the book of Revelation very serious you see these battles that Jesus has you look there in Revelation 19 Jesus shows up you know the beast gets totally wrecked uh, Enoch is pretty serious too. I want y'all to just listen to this language here. So Enoch chapter one, verse three reads, the holy and great one will come forth from his dwelling and the eternal God will tread upon the earth, even on Mount Sinai and appear from his camp in every thing and appear in the strength of his might from the heaven of heavens and all shall be smitten with fear and the watchers shall quake and great fear and trembling shall seize them unto the ends of the earth. And then the high mountains shall be shaken, the high hills shall be made low, and they shall melt like wax before the flame. And the earth shall be wholly rent in sunder, and all that is upon the earth shall perish, and there shall be judgment upon all. Hmm. So that sounds pretty serious, huh? That sounds serious to y'all? Yeah, that, that's pretty pretty apocalyptic for you. Yeah. 
Well, you, you have to place this in the context. Uh, you know, we often romanticize the story of the flood, the great flood, and, you know, it's a children's story, but really that is very, uh, you know, it, it's not anything to, to look at and say, oh, is this, isn't this cute? Uh, because it is very, very much similar to what's happening here. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. But then it does give you a little bit lighter tone mm-hmm. in verse eight, you know, after everything has been melted, you know, Indiana Jones open up the, you know, Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, open yeah. up the Ark of the Covenant, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the faces melt off. That happens. Even the, the mountains melt. But the righteous, he will make peace and he will protect the elect. And again, there's some predetermined language there. You can kind of consider the elect predetermined, depending on how your theology is on that, how you interpret those words. So... Understandable, understandable that this is a bit serious, mm-hmm. but it's not deemed heresy either. Keep that in mind. But if you're wondering where Jude comes in, in uh, Enoch chapter one, verse nine, it says, and behold, he cometh with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all. And now Jude doesn't actually quote the whole verse. You thought Jude sounded serious. Jude <laughs> sounds pretty serious. I've been preaching Jude and I've turned into the hellfire brimstone preacher. People think Jude sounds serious. Jude is censoring this down, y'all. The actual verse says over here, and behold, he will come with 10,000 of his holy ones and execute judgment upon all and destroy all. Oh my. Oh, all the ungodly. All the ungodly. <laughs> all of the flesh, all of the worlds and all of their ungodliness, which have the ungodliness committed, all of the hard things and ungodly sinners they will all be smote. So mm. Jude actually tames that one down for you. If you thought Jude was on the serious end of things, he did everybody a mercy by only giving you all the first half of that verse. Just, um, just the like, yeah, the the one sentence versus all of it. Yeah. Well, you know, I think there is an, an, an element here that, that we start out with a God of love, obviously. But then there's this part where in, injustice happens and people suffer. And the only way for, for justice to truly happen uh, true justice is for God to act. And all of this is directed at the ungodly. And so there is an element, even if you start with a God of love, that says this God of love is going to uh, bring justice for, for those that, that do love him. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, the ungodly uh, seem to, to attack the godly. Indeed, they do. Mm-hmm. And let's go a little bit further. I've got to get out of my formal clergy attire because what I'm going to do which I'm not even wearing a collar or anything like that today. What I'm about to do is where, where you really get yourself fired. Um, <laughs> we're about to read Shemzaza, who is a angel. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps you could say turned into a demon. We don't know that the connection there. But in Genesis chapter 6, what we find happening is this whole deal where the angels, they come and they they take daughters of, of Eve as their wives, and they, they have children. Well, in Enoch chapter 6, we get the heaven version of that, the heavenly side of this. And you see some angels conspiring to one another. And I think the best way to understand this really is like teenagers under the bleachers, where one of them is smoking, and he thinks he's bad. And, you know, he's a senior. He's got his buddies who they all think that they're pretty tough. And they look over there, and they see these little freshman girls, and they're like, hey, we're going to have them come smoke with us, too. And they kind of debate stuff out. So let's take a look at this scripture. And it came to pass that the children of men had multiplied in those days and were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. 
Uh, any comments on that before we go further? <laughs> the beautiful and comely daughters of the children of men. I'm trying to remember what comely means. I think I'm getting it mixed up with the word homely, but I, I just ne- never mm-hmm. think that beautiful and comely go together. They're, but anyways, yeah, no. And it also just interesting that the angels are attracted to the... I don't know. It's just, again, this is stuff like all of us need to take like 12 showers after we read this. Yes, 12 showers are needed. And the angels, they saw... Th- and the angels who are the children of heaven, by the way, they saw and lusted after them. And they said to one another, come, let's go over there and take them as wives for us, which is fascinating. I didn't realize that the angels were really into a lot of time of taking wives, but evidently there are. And or at least these are. Maybe this is where the, maybe their sinning begins before this moment. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But the angels have decided they're doing this. They've sized up the situation and they kind of go down there. Uh, Dad, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, you know, I've got several thoughts. Uh, first of all, you know, I think we relate to the church as being the bridegroom of God Almighty. Uh, and so Jesus is, no, I'm sorry, let me, the, the church is the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. I misspoke there. But with that being said, there is that marriage of the church to God that I think that we see even before that that uh, comes to be developed into a theology that here is is evil wanting to take the place of God. And yeah. there's a true idolatry taking place. And, and you know, I sure. guess I'm getting way out there, but I know that even in, uh, and of course now I'm going to get into the little more lighthearted side. And, and so those who follow the, the Bigfoot and Sasquatch uh, group, you know, they will they will refer some of them will not all of them, but will refer back to this passage, this text, um, and say that you know this is this is where Sasquatch came uh, from. And you're now, that's about very the Genesis version, the of this. Genesis version, yeah. yes. But uh, understand the Book of Watchers and and the Book of Enoch, uh, which Book of Watchers is part of the Book of Enoch, is where you can where you can find a relation of uh, or a a portion of this story too that's into that myth. Yeah. Mm. All righty. Well, let's go a little bit further, shall we? And this is really where you get the whole high school smoking scenario. And I'm over here. Again, I've taken off my coat. <laughs> Y'all forgive me. I've got my candy cigarettes over here. You know, they. this is where you get fired. Uh, um, can you can you talk with it hanging out of your mouth? Can you talk with it hanging out? No, you, you, but it's not flopping up and down. when you. Well, we'll see. Just hang it in your lip. You can't. There we'll you see. go. We'll now you're getting better. <laughs> we are being Shimzaza now. So Shimzaza. Who was that leader? He said unto them, I fear you will not indeed agree to this deed. So they kind of go over there with the daughters of, of men and they say, come over here. I fear y'all not really want to go along with this, but um, if y'all will, if y'all agree to this, y'all agree to be our wives, I will pay the penalty of this great sin. And they thought about it and they said, okay. Let us all swear an oath and bind ourselves by mutual imprecations, not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. So it's it's not even like an impulse where they go ahead and do it and be like, all right, give me the hit and we'll have our smooth one. No, they say to themselves, we will do this. Like they, the way this language happens, like this is going to be something out in the future. They're like, okay, this is the plan for it. But I mean, by the way, these are actually kind of delicious. So, <laughs> candy cigarette. Um, but Back to where we're at right now. What do y'all think about this? Shamzaza coming. Does that not what this sounds like? Peer pressure with teenagers under a bleacher? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, and I think it's fascinating. Like Shem, Shemzaza is like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll reap the consequences. Don't worry about it. And that's kind of what gets them to do it. But like, 
I think we know from human history that this that in, in current events that's not how that works. Like the person that's saying, Oh, I'll protect you, I'll take care of you is probably the first person to throw you under the bus. So it's just uh it's so slimy. It is slimy. And you know, one of the questions we're gonna ask here at the end of our program is is this book authoritative at all? And I don't mean that it would be included at the level of scripture, but is at least taking us in the right direction. Is it not overt heresy or even neutral, but actually giving us some positive um, theological ideas. And if we were keeping tally, I think you could go ahead and ring the bell and say, that's actually how lies work. That one's pretty accurate. Yeah. You know, I think there's something there. uh, I think I'm saying it right. Shimshaza is is somewhere between, uh, you know, a bully and one just being totally arrogant. Mm. I don't know, but there's something about that. You can just, you sense it. It isn't right. Yeah. Yeah. So something's wrong there. Um, and so they did this. And imprecations are curses, by the way. They they have spoken curses upon themselves. Like they, they willingly did this. I mean, it literally is like they the know it's life taking. Yeah, they know it's life taking. And it says, then they swear by one another and bound themselves together. And through mutual imprecations, which are curses, they bound themselves. And they were in all about 200, and they descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon, and they called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves by imp- in mutual imprecations there. And this is where they have their their marital relations, and they have their children who are their Nephilims. Now, there's interesting language that happens there with this. It says, as they began to, and this is chapter 7, so we're a chapter beyond that now. It says, in verse 1 of chapter 7, And they began to go unto themselves and defile themselves with them, and they taught them charms, enchantments, the cutting off of roots, and they made them acquainted with the plants. And they became pregnant, and they bore great giants, whose heights were 3,000 ells, who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when the men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. Hmm. So what do we think about this? Things take a sour turn there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, right away, we're seeing the repercussions of these actions. And um, it it seems like humanity is definitely um, receiving the repercussions. Um, We don't, as of yet, hear how the angels are responding to all this. So, um, yeah, and pretty quick and immediate repercussions, too. Like, not even a generation later or in that next generation, we're seeing some some turmoil happen. Yeah, for, for real. And, you know, even beyond that, we know that the flood is coming. So... Mm-hmm. Shimzaza is not taking the blame for this. In case anybody needed that spoiler, <laughs> Shimzaza. Is <laughs> anyone the blame. was confused? Take, yeah, Shimzaza lied. <laughs> he actually may live in our computer now, though. Uh, <laughs> or, or which the is, printer? Or the, I think it's the printer. Oh, that—that's what he's doing, demoted to. Oh. Um, mm. He chose to walk away from God, and now he just haunts your printers, which is a terrible thing, a terrible evil. Only when you're you're needing it, you know. I think it, it's if it's not extremely important, then the printer will work. It's when it's, you know, it's important and it's uh, time for it to print, and you hadn't got much much of a, a a window to work with. Then that's when he really shows up. Yeah. And by the way, this is meant to be a lighthearted program today, <laughs> in case anybody was wondering. Uh, but it is serious. This is like a real book we're going through. And since I've got dog here with me, let's go down a little bit further because the other angels don't like this. We're familiar with Michael. We've mm-hmm. heard names like that. The Archangel Michael, Gabriel. We've heard some of these names. So in chapter nine, it says, and then Michael, Uriel, Raphael, and Gabriel, they they looked over at this and they were like, hmm. They saw much bleeding, 
They saw the bloodshed upon the earth and all the lawlessness being wrought upon the earth. And they looked to one another and they said, the earth has been made pretty bad. The inhabitants, they cry out in their voice against the gates of heaven. And now it is for us, the holy ones of heaven, that we must go to the one most high. So these angels that are there in heaven, they decide they're going to go talk to God about this. And also the names for the God that they use here, I find kind of interesting because this predates the New Testament. So this, a lot of this stuff sounds like Revelation, hmm. but it's obviously a lot closer to Genesis than Revelation. And it's obviously very similar to a lot of other things in the Old Testament. But I find it interesting that they go to the, the throne of heaven, essentially, and they say, Lord of Lords, God of gods, King of kings, and the God of ages, the throne of thy glory stand before all generations of the ages. And thy name is holy and glorious and blessed unto all the ages. Thou hast made all things, power over all things, hast thou... And these things are naked and open in thy sight, because thou sees all things. Now, this is interesting because they come before God and they say, God, look at this that is laying naked before you. This is pretty serious. And they even go on and they say, Shamzaza, to whom you have given authority to bear rule over his associates, he has done some pretty wicked things. Mm-hmm. He has been teaching eternal secrets and Azazel, who's another name of one of these angels, Azazel, who was in charge of eternal secrets, he's been pouring these eternal secrets out to the children of, of men. He's been doing some wicked things. They go and they, they talk to God about Azazel and Shimzaza. And now I kind of feel bad. I'm like, are, are they acting like snitches here? No, it lays <laughs> naked before God. God knows it. They're, they're not exposing anything new. They're just basically going to say, God, what's the plan here? Mm-hmm. Um, so what are y'all's thoughts on that? Michael, Uriel, Raphael, Gabriel, their thoughts on all this? Yeah, no, it, it, it's interesting that we don't normally see this kind of dynamic. Um, our text in, in Scripture is very kind of loose about how the inner workings of angels. We get some references in Daniel and some other places, and of course Revelation, but we at that point in Revelation, everything kind of seems very cemented on, you know, good or bad. And in this, we see like an internal war within the angels happening. Yeah, so. that's, that's what's so fascinating about this is it does seem that morality for the angels is not cemented. Yeah. yeah. Like, why in the world is Shimzaza and Azazel, what, what in the world are they doing? Like, you kind of get this general idea across scripture that they're not supposed to have really their own morality. They're supposed to just be God's messengers. Well, you know, humanity was the unique creature with the will. What in the world is going on here with these angels? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not sure, but, you know, I think there is something here that says, you know, you're going to have to stand for something, and you're going to have to align yourself one place or, or another. And in, rather than uh, aligning themselves with, with fallenness, they're going to align themselves with God. And the puppy makes his way to all of us in the <laughs> studio. Um I just swapped the camera back over to me, and the dog has come to me. Now he's right up under me, begging to be picked up. (laughs) So going a little bit further, we see God respond to all of this. And in chapter 10, it says, Then said the Most High, the Holy and Great One, he spake, and he sent Uriel to the son of Lamech. And you can find Lamech there in the book of Genesis. Lamech is Noah's father. And he said, Go to him, and go to Noah, and tell him my name. And say, hide thyself. Reveal to him that the end is approaching, that the whole earth is to be destroyed, and a great deluge is about to come upon the whole earth and destroy all that is on it. Mm. So 
And that's the last we're going to read this from today because that's basically where the story of Noah comes in. Now, again, in the biblical account, we hear a totally different side of this. But, but basically what we saw here in Enoch or the book of Enoch is this sort of scheming, plotting, this thuggery of some angels go on. And then God says to, to Uriel, he says, you know, go and call up dude. Go get Lamech and talk to him about what his son is going to do. Mm. Tell him to hide. And, and, you know, that even sounds like something you would ha- see in a, like a, a school or something. Hide thyself. Like, it's not some big, elaborate uh, plan to make a ship. It sounds totally different from the perspective of heaven. So any thoughts on that? Well, you know, I think as, we, as we've worked our way through this, you know, I think it's important to realize that this does uh, have some type of place in our culture where it may not be in our canon, but it is definitely answering some of the questions that we all have. And, you know, I'm not even beyond saying that it might not even be inspirational. It is definitely apocalyptic that was that was probably written within that time frame between 200 B.C. and 200 A.D. or maybe a little bit before 200 B.C. But nonetheless, it is in that time frame where we have just an overwhelming amount of apocalyptic literature being written. And so... If, as we look to that, right in the middle is the coming of Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have apocalyptic literature outside of 2nd century B.C. or after 2nd century C.E., but we do have a tremendous amount right there. And I think all of this points to God's coming, that this imagery and this all of this happening. So, you know, I think it's something that we should at least be attentive to. I see uh, you over there using your CE language. This is a Christian program, <laughs> Anno Domini. Uh, we may yes, say Christian a, era. Christian era. Christian era. We'll or go maybe with worse. That. Okay. What, however you need to. But, you know, this, this, regardless of what you say, we, we order our time and our dates by, the, by Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, the coming oh Christ. absolutely. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. so now we've made it. To where we're going to kind of wrap this up. But I want us to, and by the way, this is meant to be a lighthearted program. Mm-hmm. So forgive the smoking of the candy cigarette. Uh, if you need to send me a pitchfork over that, send it to 6186 Eaton's Creek Road. Um, and the flaming pitchforks can also be sent there as well. But make sure you package them carefully. <laughs> um, what we're going to do, and speaking of monsters too, Baron the dog is a monster. He's over there with Pastor Amanda right now. Uh, I think he's kind of on camera a little bit. Yeah, uh, he, he's he's about to be a little demon. I'm trying get, to keep him a little pacified, but he, he's hearing all this stuff and being like, ooh, getting ideas for mischief. Yeah, he, he is Baron Dogenstein over there. He is Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> um, so that's just it. His Yeah. So wrapping this up, the question, mm-hmm. is this text authoritative? And I think the, the real question that I'm asking here is not should it be included in Scripture, right. but is this something which can be constructive to the Christian walk, or is this something which is heretical and it pulls you away from God. We've seen a few points in there, such as there is assurance of God's judgment and it will be decisive and all things will be wrought true. Um, Those who are elect, those who are chosen by God, they will be fine on that hour of judgment, but everything else is going to be destroyed by it. And everything else has been corrupted by it. You know, sin corrupts everything. 
we find that it does line up with Genesis 6, uh, though in a weird way. It's definitely the other side of the coin. But when mm-hmm. you look at the morality there, you do see that same process of manipulation, of sin, of lying, and how those things bear out. And then you see God looking to his own people and saying, you know what? Send word to Noah. Send word to somebody that there will be someone spared. We're not going to just let this completely ruin everything. So you find some interesting things there. Uh, so what do we think about this? I'll let us wrap up here. Do we think this is authoritative? Yes or no? Pastor Mike, we'll start with you. Well, you know, Jude thinks it's authoritative. He quotes it. It's very influential, if not authoritative, I mean, for him to quote that. The Essene community had these uh, things, and they were stored with their scriptures. Now, did they consider that part of their canon of scripture? I'm not sure, but I would say that they considered it authoritative and helpful uh, and something that was studied. And so we have both Jews and Christians alike during this time frame uh, referring back to it. So I'm going to say... Uh, it is authoritative. It's not canon, uh, but it can be very helpful, and it does, uh, you know, point to uh, the sovereignty and the uh, uh, of God and and God's uh, uh, faithfulness to the righteous. Mm-hmm. All right, Pastor Amanda, what do you think? Yeah, I think I'm going to be probably the, uh, I guess the um, scully to everyone's molder a little bit on this one. Um, I definitely think there are authoritative elements in this passage that we can learn from. And I feel like as well that it's a little bit better than, I don't know if the saying, um, or even a broke clock is right twice a day. It's a little bit better than that. But at the same time, I'm just not sure how far to take it because there are some very odd elements in here that puts us in places where even in Daniel and Revelations, although there's very apocryphal and imaginative elements they very closely tie to real things that were happening in those communities whether it would have been the babylonian exile or even the greek um uh conquering and and then of course in revelation the roman uh tribulations that were happening there i I don't know enough about this to kind of give me a real good grasp on some things and so i feel like it's um it there are definitely authoritative elements i don't know if i can like by the book as a whole yet. Yeah, and so I'm. What you're kind of saying there about Revelation and Daniel is, aside from the imagery and their apocalyptic view of the end times, the morality that you can extrapolate from it is completely reliable. Yeah. To work in the real world around you, meaning there's so many layers to this, you can verify the the layers that can be verified can be verified, and then the layers that are revealed to us about things beyond just the immediate circumstances, we we trust them. Um, even though we haven't seen them in their fruition. Yeah. But but it all has a reliable thread going through it. And this seems not heretical in the sense it's completely outside those bounds, but it's getting really close to the yeah, edge yeah. for me. So that's why I'm well, going to kind of like a hold on this one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like what you said there because a lot of the, again, we, we can't, we have nothing we can compare to the inner workings of heaven. So yeah. it's it's not like I can take and try to weigh this out some way. Using the clock reference, I think you can kind of say this is reliable in the same way that a clock or watch that has to be wound up is. You know, Mm -hmm. if you put in the energy to keeping it running, you put in the energy and effort to keep this maintained, you can read through it and then weigh it out with other scriptures and I think be perfectly fine. But I do think it does require that work. It's not just a battery-operated clock that's going to be self-sustaining or like other scriptures which speak for themselves. I think you may need that extra shoring around it to keep you from being yeah. too low. And I can see why our Old Testament, um, or not Old Testament, but the, our, our Jewish 
um, ancestors who decided this really wasn't quite up to the standards to being part of the, their canon. And I think very also very uh, spirit led for our New Testament apostolic fathers and mothers to say it doesn't quite reach their um, criteria either. Doesn't mean it's not good. It's just there's some very interesting things in this book that we're just not quite ready to put like a hundred percent of our force behind yeah um and so again and i also think it's interesting it's not just apocryphal it's like apocryphal 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 yeah <laughs> so that's also a fascinating many element layers of it. Yeah. yeah many layers um kind of separate us from this in the modern age but i'll say that mm-hmm. it does kind of seem that a lot of the early christians may have thought that this was supposed to be old testament scripture mm-hmm. i mean it, jude mm-hmm. references it for a reason but yeah pastor mike i'll let you have the final thoughts on this well you know apocryphal and apocalyptic are two different words and they don't mean the same thing but the apocalyptic side really means revelation and so you know with it being um a revelation one of the one of the key elements of this genre is that it does give some type of historical account, but it is often this revelation of visions and things. And so to see these visions, you have a, um, you'd only have finite words to describe them. So the imagery is is uh, often difficult for the writer to write down. But nonetheless, I'm, I'm going to side with it being not necessarily authoritative in the sense that it goes to the canon, but it is, I feel like, uh, inspired and it is revelatory. Now, I will go with, with agree with Pastor Amanda, how much of it is uh, applicable um, in, in complete truth, I, I don't know, because it is a tremendous amount of imagery to, to express an idea. Sure. But it is helpful, sure. and it does point to hope. Sure. Mm-hmm. And just kind of wrapping this up where you can find it so this is obviously not included in scripture and if you have a catholic bible which has the apocrypha it's not there either so you've got to do some digging for it you can buy an amazon kindle version of it so an ebook version for like five to ten dollars it's not very expensive there are hard copies of it you can buy that are not very expensive either but it is one of those books that you'll probably have to buy as an independent purchase you may find it in collection of other things but you're not likely to find a version of the Bible that has this included in it. Um, even those that keep uh, some of the apocryphal and extra texts in there, this is not likely to be in that. So I do recommend it. It's definitely worth your time. It's not something like the Key of Solomon, which also talks about demons and spirits <laughs> and things, which that that is spooky on a different level. Uh, that one I would probably not recommend. This one it can actually point you to God, mm-hmm. so I would recommend it. I would yeah. consider it a pleasure reading and not necessarily something that you, I wouldn't replace my devotional with this, for sure, yeah. or my, my scriptural yeah. uh, canon reading. Uh, this, But at the same time, you know, I think, I think now there is the Dead Sea Scrolls available, and you can purchase that um, in its entirety. I, I'm not, sure. I can't, I, I don't can. have yeah. that book, but I do believe it is available. And, um, Baron the dog, <laughs> who Baron have last minute thoughts? yeah he yeah, he he's kind of made it to the camera several times and he was the one who went and dug this up for us he's such a good boy, um, so Pastor nice. Mike since you've got Baron with this would you mind giving people a final prayer and some final words and close us out let's let's do let us go to the King of Kings the Lord of Lords, Almighty God you are the God who does reveal to us and we ask for your Spirit to rest upon us to. Uh, to help guide us and uh, reveal to us your will. We do. We pray for your kingdom to come, your will to be done. We thank you for your beautiful creation and uh, even this lightheartedness. Uh, we find great joy in, in your 
your creation and not only just the trees and the, the beauty of this fall season but also the little creatures like Baron. again i pray for um, uh, the unrest that's going on in our world and so you know as we look at some unlike uh, some uh, more light-hearted uh, topics here dear lord we realize that there are serious things going on and we pray uh, for your guidance in this world on each and every viewer Again, Lord, we give you praise and thanks for your love. And uh, we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.